Hi, welcome back to AR Zone. I'm your host, Carolyn Bailey. These continuing interviews on intersectional veganism and related issues are in association with VegFest UK. In today's interview, we welcome our special guest, Farrah Rainwhite. Farrah is a Food for Life instructor with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and the founding director of social enterprise Life After Hummus, a London-based BME-led community benefit society who are on a mission to pioneer nutrition and lifestyle intervention solutions for a changing health and care landscape to improve the physical and mental health of the public and reduce health inequalities tackle food poverty and reduce social isolation whilst operating within an intersectional framework. Farah will be speaking at VegFest London this year and she joins us today to speak about that and about her work in general. Thanks for joining us Farah and welcome to AR Zone. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. Farah, as I mentioned in your introduction, you're a BME-led community benefits society. Would you please explain to our listeners what that means and why that's important to you? Well, BME stands for Black Minority Ethnic. And why is that important? Because I'm a person of colour. I am a BME. And it's important to have representation. It's important to feel included. And to, yeah, just to be, just to be represented. I guess it's really hard to say why is it important because when, when you're a person of colour, for you it just is. And how, how do you explain that is it's, I guess you could say to a white person, you could say, think about everyday sexism. Everyday racism happens all the time and continues to happen. Absolutely. Ferry, your hub launches on November the 12th, which must be very exciting. One of the things you mentioned as a basic fundamental life skill is teaching people how to cook using an intersectional framework, recognising the daily barriers we all have. I really like that so much thought has gone into that and the fact that we do all have daily barriers. What's the goal of your new hub and who does it hope to target? Mm, That's a really lovely question. So, and it's really nice that you've put so much thought into your question. So thank you. Our hub is, it's, well, it's a, it's a dream come true and it's the culmination of a lot of hard work. So we sort of really started in 2016 and two years on, we're ready to launch this hub, which will operate three days a week in King's Cross, which is in London and in an area called Summerstown. And I was specifically targeting three areas in the area where I am in London and one of these were Summerstown. So the areas I was targeting were the most deprived areas of my area, which is Camden. And Summerstown falls into that category. There is an early death rate in Summerstown, uh, but there's no singular reason why. You can't put it down to food deserts. You can't put it down to quality of air. It's all a mix of everything, not a single reason. The people we're looking to target are your everyday person your Londoners, you're just about managing, which is um, jam, just about managing. I'm a just about managing. We're also looking to help people who are hidden homeless, looking to help people who are just like us, who are struggling and who could just use a bit of support. Support varies for so many people. I have taught people from um, how to 
cut an onion for the first time just because they've never had a chance. Some people might laugh about that, but it does happen, and it happens a lot. And also people who just don't have a chance to cook because of the way life is now, time, money, pressure. And also for other people, it can be that they're just very good cooks. And as I say to those people, and they do tend to be women, like older women, I tend to, I, I say to them, I am not here to teach you how to cook because you could teach me a thing or two. I'm just here to help you improve your cooking techniques. I'm in awe of what you're doing. I think that that's, that's a wonderful idea. And as you say, you know, some people may have never chopped an onion before. And it, I mean, it doesn't sound bizarre because there are so many people who are living homeless at the moment around the world and who, like you say, just don't have the opportunity to do some of the things that we all take for granted every day. So thank you for the work you're doing. I think it's wonderful. I also, if I can just yeah. say for, for, for us, because you mentioned I'm a Food for Life instructor and none of this would be possible without the support of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. It's their curriculum that I teach, the Food for Life program. It's a solid program. It's For me, it's you cannot fault it. And when I found out about the program, the, the thing is, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just tell you sort of how I got to the program, if Absolutely. that's okay. So um, thank you. I've been vegan for longer than I can remember. And I don't like answering that question, how long have you been a vegan? Because <laughs> it's, it's such a gold start kind of question. What I do like to say is it's longer than I can remember. And I went, I've, through life, sort of left home at a very early age and very, very early age, straight into employment. And you find yourself sort of just surviving, just coping because you maybe shouldn't have left home so early. But that, that's that those are circumstances. And you go from job to job and you're trying to make sense of it. And also you're cooking food, you're saving money, etc. But all you find yourself ill. So for me, I found myself in my um, uh, late 20s, pre-diabetic, size 20, UK size 20, that is, neuropathy, painful lethargy, even like visual things like terrible acne. And you kind of go, well, that's OK, because, you know, all the women in my family are big and, you know, it's just kind of the way life is. And my grandparents passed away from brain aneurysms on my mother's side, and I didn't really know my father's parents because they passed away very young. A part of that is also because they were indentured laborers under colonialism rule um, in on the island of Mauritius. So you you think, okay, well this is sort of how it is. I can't do anything about this. But you also go, you know, but you know, I'm vegan and that's not going to change. But then you fall upon something called um, a book called the Reverse Diabetes Diet book by Dr. Neil Barnard. And you read that and you go, wow, that kind of sounds like me. And that book changed my life, along with one of his other books, Turn Off the Fat Genes. And this was before really social media was a big thing. So you take the book, you put it into Google and you find out, oh, wow, he's the president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And you do a bit more research and you you find out that they, they do something called the Food for Life training. So you find you contact them and you ask about it and they say to you, well, we're actually this was 2014. We're opening up training to become instructors 
for people who are from outside of uh, the USA in Washington, and you have to come to Washington, would you like to apply? So that's, I'll, I'll sort of stop there on that, but if anybody does want to find out more about them, do look them up. That's what made such a difference for me is this program. And this program, when I went to find out more about it, and I cannot fault it. It itself also teaches people how to adopt adapt their diet to a low-fat vegan diet, also in an intersectional way, I have to add. There's nothing expensive that they use. None of the ingredients are expensive. It's all accessible. You can adapt it to wherever you are in the world. You can cook from the ingredients that you have just using the same techniques. That's very interesting and very helpful information as well. Thank you. Farah, at the heart of your philosophy seems to be that health is a right, not a privilege. I certainly agree absolutely with that ideal. But I think for many humans living in food deserts or who are just unable to access fresh fruit and vegetables or cooking utensils or in many different examples such as the ones that you gave earlier, this may not be the case. Health really can be a privilege in some cases. Your work is really inspiring. Is there something we can do, in your opinion, to make health be seen as a right for those who, at this time, it isn't so? Well, I'll, I'll approach that from two sort of angles. I do think that the privilege can do more to help the underprivileged. And here in the UK, I, I can actually, I'll say here in London, I can say that I can speak for where I live, not for London, but <laughs> of, I can say that here it is worrying the amount of privilege that is growing in London. It is becoming a very expensive city and mm. it's as, as it becomes more expensive, you find that people start to care less. Because, well, if I'm having to pay so much money for my accommodation, whether it's owned or rented or, you know, why should I care for the other person? Mm. Why should I why, why should I give the other person money? Why should I, you know, I have to work so hard. Poor me. Exactly. Um, I, I do think the privilege can do more for the underprivileged. And I do also think that people with experience can do more. I mean, I I'm blessed to be supported by people who are in higher positions, sort of like well-paid positions who give us time to the project and to those people I'm so thankful. So, and, and the second is how can it be improved? You need to go to policy. It needs to go to government because if the services are there, you know, we have areas here, even in London that are food deserts where the sh shop you can access is a corner shop mm. and a corner shop, Sure, that's fine. That's got your everyday ingredients in there. But look at the quality of it. In the UK, we suffer from Public Health England recently did a, an article on the nature of the makeup of food. But in the UK, in, in Europe, we are the highest 50 percent. Over 50 percent of our food is high processed. That has an impact on a person. And the corner shop, they'll tend to sell that kind of food. Now, if other shops cannot open to sell food at a more affordable price, we need to look at the reasons why. I, I can only sort of speak from here. 
business rates are too expensive. Businesses cannot thrive. You, you have ideas coming from different people and parties and organizations saying, well, maybe we should start to look at the nature of a business. If it's a business looking to help the public, improve the health of the public, reduce the health inequalities, perhaps these businesses should be given a different business rate. Well, would that help in London? Sure, it would. But it can't stop there. You also need to look at what is on offer. What are schools cooking with? Because a lot of the schools don't have a choice in how they cook. They're tied up, including universities. They're tied up in hefty contracts with their contractors because a very long time ago, all, a lot of local authority services, public services, signed contracts. And when these contracts are put out to tender, in the beginning, the quality was good. But as we know, as with supermarkets, when they came knocking on our doors, what happened? The quality starts to change little by little. So it's a long way of saying that it can be done, but you need movement for it to be done. You need people to get involved and you need to have politicians on board. How do you get politicians on board? The average person can start to lobby their councillor. It can be done, but we all need to play a part. I'm not saying that the person, it's, you know, oh, it's, it's this, you must do this. I'm just saying do what you can, but do it. Be active and help each other. Yeah, thanks for that, Farah. So, Farah, this is uh, Roger here. I just want to explore... A little Hi. Hi. just want to kind of um, tease out the meaning of this um, health as a right slogan. It seems a little bit problematic to me in, in the sense that no one has the right not to be ill or sickly. So, in terms of your meaning, are you really saying that, in essence, people have the right not to be deliberately made ill through, say, poor nutritional education and other food poverty issues. Is, is that what you're really getting at? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's really interesting. Thanks for that. I like that. I like this question. Um, yeah, that is, that is what we're getting at. It is, I can, I can understand how that, yeah, actually that's interesting. That could be seen problematic. Yeah, but no, you're spot on. That's, that is what we're looking at is that it's, it comes down to education. I don't know. Did you, did you do home economics, for example? I did home economics. And all I learned to do was how to, um, how to sew an apron, how to make a cake, Victoria sponge cake, which I whipped too much so it was flat as pancake. What else? Uh, that's, so, sorry, one of the cats. <laughs> um, so there, there wasn't much taught around nutrition in schools. And now if we fast forward now, let's come to say five years ago, they were teaching the kids in schools in food technology because food home economics becomes food technology. They were teaching the kids in schools up to five years ago how to design pizza boxes. So getting them ready to enter the service industry. Now, my a year ago, my neighbor's daughter was taken on a field trip and she was taken to a local supermarket. And when her mother found out that this is where they wanted to take her, she said, you're not taking my daughter there. Are you trying to train her to be the next checkout girl? The thing is, there is a difference because I live on a on, on an estate in, in Camden, a housing estate, a local authority or maybe called a housing project, perhaps abroad. So there is a difference because this is what will be offered to the children 
and the teenagers in my area. But if you go to, say, a more wealthier area in London, say Kensington, say Notting Hill, say Hampstead, just up the road, they'll, they will be engaged in much more interesting activities. They'll be engaged in activities that will different. Mm, different. Well, that's the, that's but, the issue of social class coming into the picture, isn't it, isn't it there? Exactly. The other thing is, is the information is there. The evidence-based information is there. When it's being published, what, on a weekly basis in the um, New England Journal, in uh, The Lancet, when it's all there, you can't deny it. What you have to do is put it into practice. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, <laughs> it's really it's really good because you, you, you um, warned us about... Um, <laughs> barking before we started <laughs> and then we got the the cat and i was thinking that's the strangest dog i've heard for a while so uh, so thanks thanks for that <laughs> yes this is introduction this is melly um a little rescue melly hello melly about five times or six times a day she likes to be cuddled and she gets very vocal <laughs> You, you, you don't call her Smelly Melly, do you? Uh, oh, we did when she was little. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> she sounds lovely. Farah, I wanted to, wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and spending your time with us. I hope you have the best time at VegFest and eat lots and lots of lovely food. And I also wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for all the work that you're doing on behalf of both humans and other animals. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's... um. It's been lovely talking to you, and for us, you know, we've never hidden the fact that we're on a mission to make cooking classes socially prescribed. So that's where we're heading, is we're collecting data, and we're going to continue to do so. So far, our data has given us access to a location, engaging with our local authority, and it's fantastic. We're going to be able to teach three days a week there. And the next two years is going to be spent collecting data. We already have the local authorities, diabetes leads agreeing um, to signpost people to us. We have a homeless project saying, can our hidden homeless come and learn from you? Because they are accessing food banks, but they don't, they've moved now from being homeless to um, into a hostel and then into a bedsit, accessing the food banks, not knowing what to do with the food they're getting. Can they come to you? All these things are, it's just fantastic. But for us, when we haven't made it a secret. We're after social prescription because if we're going to, I mean, there are many ways to tackle health. I'm not saying ours is the answer. I'm saying ours is one of the answers. So for us, if we can make cooking classes accessible affordable to everyone through prescription this is the way it works here in the uk then that's the mission we're on and our data i share it often people will message me from around the uk saying you know how are you doing it we're very open to sharing so if there's anybody listening to this who wants our data email us ask us we'll send it to you because if we can open those doors up and down the country you could see this repeated yeah, it's it's very encouraging. I think it's very inspiring as well. And um, I I just wish you all the very best with it. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're very much. Really enjoyed talking with you. November of the Animal Kingdom.
This is past maturity. No member of the animal kingdom ever did a thing to me. So I don't need red meat or white.